What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our Expectations series today. And the one you've all been waiting for, we're going to talk about Lamar Jackson. No two players today, just Lamar Jackson. Here to discuss him with me is Alec Pulianos. Alec, how you doing? Doing great, Ken. It's funny. Uh, I feel like everyone was playing chicken with you, with Lamar. Because um, when we originally were talking about it, I, I mentioned two other guys and they were they were taken um and a couple were taken and then you sent me the list of what was left and uh there was Lamar still sitting there and I'm like I guess everyone was just avoiding him so I'll just do it <laughs> yeah so a lot a lot of people like don't feel worthy or whatever um we're gonna discuss him in some general terms there is a lot of changes here for Lamar Jackson so in in, in terms of a big difference moving from 2018 sorry 2019 to 2020 a relatively minor set of changes were anticipated because the Ravens still had Greg Roman. They had one of the greatest offenses of all time. They had a bunch of returning pro bowl and all pro players, including a bunch on offense who were good. And the feeling always is that the receiving core is a little better this year than it's been in the past because it couldn't be any worse. <laughs> and, and that was the feeling in 2020 the offense had J.K. Dobbins coming in. So there was generally a lot of a lot of positive feeling. And while I think we'd have been in agreement at the time that there is no way in hell Lamar Jackson will ever have another statistical season like he just had in 2019, there was still the feeling he could be just as good or better um, by 
doing even more things right and taking another off-season progression. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 19 was so good in so many different ways, but you can still see lots of places in his game that there's room for improvement. And, and frankly, you can still see it today. So um, not to say he's not a tremendous talent and a tremendous quarterback. And honestly, within, uh, I would say, like, I, I take Mahomes over him at this point, but that's about it. Honestly, I really do view him as uh, that kind of guy uh, for an offense and a team. But um, yeah, there's it's it's still remarkable to say, though. But, you know, you could do these things better, which makes me optimistic that, you know, he could have uh, another great season in 23. That's uh, that really just wows us. Yeah, I mean, and and certainly that would be great. But point I was trying to make here was 19 to 20. It's a relatively easy set of small progressions that you want from Lamar Jackson in a bunch of areas with limited regression in other areas. Okay, so 36 to 6, touchdowns, interceptions. That wasn't going to hold up. You know, rushing for 1,100 yards, we didn't really know at the time, but that probably wasn't going to hold up either. You know, we hoped he could be as healthy as he'd just been, and that did hold up for 20. It did not hold up in 21 and 22. And, and in fact, in 20, he's hurt, obviously, at a very important time in the playoff game. Um, But, you know, broadly speaking, the changes we were expecting were very small. We fast forward to the 2022 to 23 break. More could not have changed over this offseason than for Lamar Jackson um, if you'd constructed it from scratch. A new offensive coordinator will be in place, promises to have a very different offense. It's an offense that, in theory, Lamar wants to run and is different. Different set of offensive playmakers are brought in. A healthy set of running backs, hopefully, will be back, including the big two. Uh, and uh, you know, this is a this is a very potentially a very different offense, a very different situation uh, from what Lamar had even just a year ago. Uh, so I think it, it a different set of expectations is necessary in terms of what improvements are necessary. We're going to get into some of that um, as we go through this tonight. For sure, and and left out in that conversation of different weapons and different offenses, different. I guess um, magnitude of importance for him because mm-hmm. uh, obviously the contract situation changed. Now, granted, this year he actually takes less money against the cap than he did last year, but uh, I think just the weight of now having a multi-year deal and being the highest-paid player in the league definitely changes some of the expectations as well. Well, it, it it's certainly better because Lamar Jackson now for the Ravens three or five year cap health, whatever you want to look at the Ravens have entered a different phase as a franchise. They're now in uh, you know, a mature phase where they have to make do with their current set of foundational players. There won't be another foundational player coming in for until one of the current ones, their contract is all the way through the Python right now. There's a whole bunch of different ones at different points. The next one who, who might go, and we certainly hope it doesn't happen after this year because it would mean very bad things is Ronnie Stanley, who can be cut in 24 with about an $8.3 million savings. Uh, He's still under contract for two more years if the Ravens want him for those years. So we really hope that is the case, obviously, (laughs) uh, because it's very difficult, and certainly for $8.3 million, to try and get a new left tackle these days. Yeah, I fully anticipate uh, holding on to Stanley. Mm -hmm. And with, with Jackson, of course, the contract process was not a pretty one. Um, it, it almost, 
I guess might have been a blessing kind of in disguise that it didn't completely loom as a cloud over the 22 season. But it. some other people would say maybe it did because he got hurt and you know, obviously he didn't come back for the playoffs, not that he, not that he should have or anything, not that it was appropriate, um, uh, and not that he could have. But uh, he, uh, uh, he wasn't available for, for whatever reason. And uh, uh, you know, then it turned into an extraordinarily protracted off-season contract situation. Uh, a you know a non um, the, the, what is the non-exclusive franchise tender mm-hmm. that uh, I think Lamar was probably unhappy with from the start because it meant that that there was less dollars uh, there as a starting point for for salary. And then of course the question was are non-guaranteed contracts now the norm with Deshaun Watson and the Jalen Hurts contract signing kind of indicated that, um, you know, along with the Wilson signing that, that non-guaranteed contracts were not here to stay. Mm-hmm. And Lamar ended up signing a, a, a sorry, guaranteed contracts, not here to stay a, a non-guaranteed contract with a significant amount of guaranteed money um, that will uh, make him a, a very wealthy man. And, and obviously the highest paid quarterback in the history of the game as of right now. Correct. Yeah, it all worked out in the end. Uh, definitely was a very interesting process the whole way through. A lot of speculation, a lot of gamesmanship uh, with the the trade request that always seemed kind of phony. Still waiting for that interview with himself or whatever was supposed to come out. It seemed like that was no longer necessary. Another bullet in the chamber, so to speak, for uh, <laughs> these negotiations that was unplayed. But um, yeah, I definitely think that at the end of the day, uh, this was a very reasonable contract for both sides i don't think um the ravens have bent over backwards to keep him by any stretch of the imagination now i do think the language with uh, the no trade clause is interesting uh, we'll, we'll deal with that when it comes because uh in 2026 there'll definitely be interest in restructuring the deal mm-hmm. um but uh that will be yeah it's future future to cost of problems there you go <laughs> um I, I'm frankly very impressed with the Ravens behavior during this. I thought they, they uh, played it very well in terms of not getting upset with Lamar, not uh, with all the, the stuff that was going on with the NFLPA. It would have been easy to get upset with how that was going down. I think Lamar is not personally, does not personally seem to have great advice in his corner. I certainly don't think the NFLPA provided it in this particular case. I don't know who else is advising him from outside of his, you know, him and his mother. It was obviously in some small way involved in this, but basically Lamar is negotiating his own contract here. Um, the NFLPA, I believe, used him in the process. And Damari Smith is now out of a job. So he might have been the biggest loser in the entire Lamar Jackson contract situation. I don't know if it was entirely due to this, but whatever strategy the NFLPA had to leverage Lamar Jackson's situation into something they could bring to the bargaining table in 2031 or 2030 or whatever year they'll, they'll negotiate this next CBA. Not only did it not work, the published releases of damage control are some of the worst written things I've ever seen. I mean, just it, it, it absolutely contain nothing but damage control and otherwise a bunch of blithering that makes no financial sense. So when you come down to it, you're playing a zero-sum game. Zero-sum game means 
Somebody wins, somebody has to lose by an equal amount. All right. So if Lamar Jackson wins, then his amount of win relative to where he otherwise could have been represents a loss to every other player in the in the league or every other player on the team on the Ravens at least in terms of how much they'll make uh on their contract so I don't see how the NFLPA trying to help Lamar get as big a contract as possible is serving their constituency as a whole unless they have some other hidden agenda to hide quarterback money or to you know to basically make it like the vet men money is where there's 10 million per team, say, or 5 million per team that doesn't count against the cap. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about that, if if that were to ever come to fruition, it's just a change in the um, division of revenue is what that uh, that amounts to. It's just, it's just a straight change to the division of revenue. That's the most hotly negotiated element of what goes on in any CBA is, is what that division of revenue is going to be. It's gone up, it's gone down. It was 60% at one time. It came down now. To, I, I don't know whether it's 51% or thereabouts, but it's lower than it was at its highest. And I, I, the only thing that makes any sense is that the, the NFLPA wanted this as a bargaining chip for the next CPA, because there's nothing else in the meantime, unless they're going to come up with another, post-COVID change to, to you know, the CBA that would, that would be in place until as a bridge until then, that makes any sense. And it, yeah. in so doing, I think just absolutely horrible negotiating. Yeah. I'm going to be kind of boring here because I completely agree with you again. I think you stated it well. It, it does boggle my mind a bit that there was this uh, effort to be made with Lamar's contract being big and guaranteed when all it just means is like, yeah, like you said, all the other players on the team are going to make less money. It sets precedent for less team, other players and other teams to make less money. And um, I, I, in a way, I feel like the quarterback market might be simmering down. Like I know it's been going, going, going uh, for a while there. But I, I think like uh, that two, three year period where it went from, you know, Allen making 43 million a year, uh, Mahomes making 40 some million a year to this 52 that happened very quickly, and now I, it seems like it's leveling off. Um, Let me so. just say that hearing you say that, you really seem old to me. And why do you seem old? Because I think from about 19, probably 30, <laughs> through about 1980, there was a bunch of old men going around saying, you know what? I just don't think women's bathing suits can get any more revealing this summer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I that's what I feel like you say. I think the quarterback market is kind of simmering down. We've got Herbert and and Burrow coming up, and they're they're both going to make a lot of money. I don't know what the what the money's going to be, but they're both going to they may each set successive records uh, to do it, or maybe they come in basically about the same, depending on the order that that they're done. But it may it may well be successive records. Um, by the way, let me let me be clear here. I don't blame Jackson at all. There there are some comportment issues maybe that that I would have said. You know, maybe it could have been a little bit better, but I just think I think that comes down to Jackson not really having good advice. I think the the, the big villain in this in this entire process is the NFLPA for sticking their nose in this in a way that a didn't help Lamar, and b didn't really have any net positive effect on their constituency that they can point to. So this is this is why I'm just I, I'm boggled by the by the silliness of the entire set. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was definitely a, a weird process, and I think one that won't be uh, replicated with the other two for a variety of reasons. 
Now, good news. It seems like you get to the end of the road, the contract is signed. Uh, Lamar says he didn't really want to play anywhere else, which is great. And the, and the Ravens say, uh, you know, family's tough, but, you know, we're glad to have, you know, our, our prodigal son back, whatever you want to call him. He's yeah. uh, <laughs> sure. uh, back in the fold. And, and Ravens fans couldn't be more relieved about the entire situation. Uh, that's, that's under the bridge now. But Lamar does face a number of changes coming this year that require differences other than let's make sure he doesn't tap his feet together closely anymore. And, (laughs) you know, we could, we could talk about various things in in, in terms of throwing mechanics and whatnot that probably neither of us is qualified to really speak on. But in terms of this year's, there's, there's a lot of other changes as well. Um, The offensive coordinator uh, change is enormous. And uh, Lamar had a hand in forcing this. I think that's undeniable. He clearly was unhappy. Uh, with what was going on with Roman. Fair enough. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we saw what went on outside the castle with the, the fire, Greg Roman signs. I don't think we need to do any more real speculation about who might've actually written those. Um, but, you know, there's no doubt about it. The Ravens players, including Lamar had a hand in getting Greg Roman fired. And, you know, Part of, you know, obviously a big part of it is that Roman didn't really have any success working with Huntley to try and get the offense going. But, you know, obviously Roman, the the thought was that that Roman is not maximizing who Lamar is. And, uh, you know, we're we're at a point where hopefully um, Monken is going to be adding something new that will be different. Supposedly a higher volume passing offense, less reliance on the run. I think Monken will deliver on the scheme end of that, but I think also expectations are so incredibly high for the results component of that, that it will be very hard for him to deliver on that. Uh, what do you mean by that? Can, can you explain on that a little bit? Okay. So in terms of, of what the scheme will be, I think it'll be back to a, a lot more 11 personnel, probably some 12, not throw totally throwing away the run game, but, you know, bringing on the run game when, when it's appropriate to run, you have the lead, mm-hmm. you want to close out games. You don't want to turn into the, the Oilers team that blew the 35 to three lead of the bills. You need a way to close out games other than just turn it over to your defense after, after a three and out. So I think they'll, they'll want to retain that running game. Patrick Ricard will still make the team. Um, and, and they'll have ways that they can still run the, run the football effectively, both when they have to and, and at other times. But I think otherwise, um, the, the scheme will change a lot in terms of pace. I expect them to try and implement a much faster pace offense. And I think that, that Monken will be able to deliver on that. He'll be able to deliver on some of the things, at least he says, about stretching the field both horizontally and vertically in terms of scheme. But there are big execution questions that go with that many of which are in the hands of Lamar. Some in, the, some in mm-hmm. terms of the receivers and, and how well they actually play, but a lot of that's in the hands of Lamar. Correct. The one thing I definitely wanted to see out of Roman's offense, I think what was lacking, and we talked about it a lot, was just the speed at which they got to the line of scrimmage and how quickly um, you know the ball was getting snapped and, and not having these delay of games or this frantic uh, nature of you know making sure they get their emotion in and, and all that. My hunch is the way that this offense is set up is, it, you know, if you were thinking Roman was doing 
80% of the processing of what a play should look like and, and Lamar had 20%, it's going to flip to more 50-50 where we're given a you know play, we're giving a formation, but it's up to Lamar to go up to the line and determine what motions he's going to do, what checks he's going to do. And he has more time at the line, but he also has more decisions to be making at the line. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my anticipation for how this is going to change. And obviously that, that puts a lot of burden on him to be able to execute that, like you said. Um, perform it at a good, uh, you know, perform it at a high level and also keep the team on, on schedule. You know, that's a great point because one of the problems that I think has occurred and I can come up for multiple reasons why this would be, but I think that they have not been successful in getting Lamar the call relayed to the other players in the huddle in a timely fashion and that that's a big part of was a big part of the Ravens not running a faster paced offense. Now, how can you fix that? The offense, multiple people have to touch this first. The offensive coordinator has to make his play call quicker. I don't really know if Greg Roman was making the play call on time or not, but it it was a possible area of breakdown. I've never heard it him specifically indicted for that. I have heard Roman say some very stupid things about how a late snap is a good snap because it reduces the amount of time in the game, which is only good if you're if you're leading, of course. Not to lose track of this and go down other rabbit holes as we go, though, that's only one stage of this, is Roman getting the call in quickly. The next part is Lamar processing it to himself correctly. So if it's a six-part play, where he's got a he's got a number of words he's got to remember, and then he's got you know a route, set of route combinations he's got to remember, offensive line call he's got to remember, et cetera, et cetera. Then that can be a lot. It would it, you know in a lot of ways it might be easier if he had just a formation, didn't have to re-ask what was that third word again, kind of thing. Um, but if 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 he's relaying that play in the huddle, um, he has to also be able to state it clearly so that everyone else can understand. I don't know if that's a problem, but it is another potential weak link in the chain if that's not being done. So Roman getting it done quickly, Lamar processing it into his own mind so he can remember it. Okay. And that that's mm-hmm. probably all done while he's got his hands over his helmet, trying to hear that call in a loud stadium where there may all, all be some Belichick static on the line. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean, really. Um, yeah. And, and then, and then being able to go to the huddle reiterate that play to the people understand what it means then go to the line of scrimmage and you know you can you can easily have a six to ten second difference in terms of how quickly that can be done between a very fast fast play caller with a very fast relayer who has his own internal mnemonics for um relaying that easily yeah Okay. And then, and then, you know, having a, uh, you know, that delivered then to the rest of the huddle in a timely fashion so that you can get to the line of scrimmage quickly. It's just, it's a, it's, it's not a, it's not something that was all necessarily Greg Roman's fault. Now he might've, he might've been a big problem in two ways. He might've been a big problem because he was late on his calls. He might also have been a big problem because his entire playbook was too complex to boil down to fewer words. And so his complex run scheme plays had more words and more blocking assignments and whatnot built into them. 
such that they were harder to understand or, or um, there were more branches of the tree that Lamar had to naturally be ready for and anticipate in order to, to relay that, that play call. Uh, there's, there's, it, it could have broken down in multiple ways, but if, if the concepts are too complex to be easily communicated, that is also a Roman problem. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a scheme problem. Yeah. And, or a teaching problem or, you know, exactly. I think it, it is interesting and then we'll never know. That's like the worst part, unless there's like some sort of tell all book, you know, in the future, uh, from a player or something. Uh, but yeah, you'll never know exactly where those, uh, shortcomings were coming from. But it is something that uh, Roman had in many trips. Um, I remember when we first had him in, in 19 and we were having great success and we beat San Francisco. Uh, the guy we had on was like, well, we'll see how it is in two years. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, he, you know, he's like, we, we had this experience too. And, you know, we stayed in touch with him uh, and, you know, he wasn't too surprised by it. But at the same time, like, how is he able to strike gold like that? several several times in his career and adapt or whatever and then and then have this happen i, I don't know it's a very interesting problem that he has um <laughs> or like uh, i guess a, a very interesting pattern it seems that it kind of follows him but uh definitely excited to see what munkin brings to the offense how it changes and and what kind of football we'll be playing yeah well that that's one of the great things about a new coordinator offense or defense is we won't know from the preseason we will not know and then the, the regular season will start and all of a sudden, oh, they could do that. Oh, they could do that. You know, you just get excited about all the, the various things. Uh, defense, same kind of thing. They do a little bit of blitzing in preseason. But what they don't do is they don't show you a lot of specialized high leverage alignments. So mm. you don't get you don't get dime. You don't get a lot of dime looks in preseason. For one thing, they really are trying to look, stay in nickel for as much as they can to look at the broadest set of players. Right. Uh, and and you, you just you don't get the the whole set of looks in, in, in terms of the offense. They're not trying to run the most efficient offense in the preseason. They're trying to test what their players can do. And a lot of times that means in one-on-one matchups, it means seeing if linemen can pull. It means seeing if running backs can cut. It means trying to do all sorts of things that test the player um, as opposed to maximize offensive output for those preseason games. Correct. Yeah. There's not a lot of, game planning going on against the opponent. It's more game planning to learn about yourself. Yeah. 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 Self-scouting. Um, so let's talk about a little, a, where Lamar was still in 2022 and what, what's still there in his game in terms of, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, just mean who was he in 2022 and mm-hmm. um, he still is a very dominant run threat, but since his rookie year, so sorry, since his second year, he switched almost exclusively from a pistol offense in, in 18 and 19 to a sidecar offense in 20 to 22, which basically put the onus on a running back to deliver the outside threat while making him the inside threat, which is a very interesting proposition. You take a little more risk with your quarterback in theory, because he doesn't get as many easy out of bounds runs. Uh, but on the other hand, if you can put stress on a defense horizontally and Roman certainly delivered on that with counters and motion and the, and the, and the uh, sidecar uh, mesh point plays, you, you create a lot of horizontal pressure on the field, which we saw regularly teams run themselves out of position against Lamar Jackson when he held the football. Yeah, for sure. That was one of the best parts of the game. And um, we know that Munkin mentioned that, there's a lot he felt like he could learn from the run game that we had prior. And 
I, I definitely am very interested interested to see what changes as far like how much was the pass setting up the run? You know, a lot of people talk about run setting up the pass with play action, but in a way, the pass can set up the run as well. And I, I'm curious to see how these changes affect the way we run the ball. Uh, I might, I, in a way, that's almost more interesting to me than what we're going to do in the passing game. That's the Montana 49ers. This pass sets up the run. The West Coast offense in, in general, but the Montana 49ers really just about more than more than anything I'd, I'd tag with that. Um, in, in terms of getting back to Lamar, though, and who he was in 22, there's still very little in the way of check down routes. Uh, Gus Edwards last yeah. year, for example, had two targets, zero catches. Yeah, they're not trying to do that. J.K. Dobbins didn't have a bunch of receptions last year. Um, I don't know how many Kenyon Drake had, but it wasn't a lot. So <laughs> yeah. running, running backs are not particularly involved in the passing game. Um, and even Justice Hill, who was on the field a fair amount um, on third down situations, I don't remember, but he didn't have a lot of targets on this last season. For sure. It's really tricky when your uh, quarterback is, in a way, the best check down you have. Um, so, yeah, I, part of me always has wondered. I mean, I know we did a show back in, I think it was 20, right before, yeah, before everything kind of changed. I was looking at, or maybe it was 21. I forget. It must have been 21. Because I was looking at it and I was thinking, oh, I think Dobbins could get more passing game. And then he got mm-hmm. hurt. But, um, you know, the way that it's set up is uh, there were a lot of them were check downs. Like they weren't particularly interesting route run. I watched like all of McCaffrey, all of Kamara, all of Eckler uh, snaps from like the last two seasons or whatever. And it was just like check down work and they were able to break a tackle and get some extra yards. Like they're not actually like interesting receivers. Like a lot of people like act like they run these great routes and they really don't, they don't really do much. They just get a lot of opportunity <laughs> to, to catch the ball and run. So, um, I, I I definitely think that that could be added to our offense, but it, every time that that happens essentially is Lamar not running, which could be a good thing if you're worried about his injuries, although he's never been injured running yet. As far as we can tell, it's always been in the pocket. Absolutely. And I'm, I guess, um, yeah, well, let's move on. Uh, time to throw is still among the longest in the league. Uh, now I've, I've seen it in different sources reported differently, but he's right around three seconds, maybe a little bit over PFF's number is about 3.11 um, other numbers from uh, what is it? The next gen is I think a little bit below three or maybe just at three, but either way you look at it is one of the longest in the league still extends plays very well. Hopefully that's something he can continue to do. Definitely. There's some injury risk because you want to talk about where you really get hurt the most. If you're Lamar Jackson, it's usually not on a sack. It's usually on a quarterback hit. Um, it, can, it, it has happened. I guess he got sacked once by uh, JOK, right? And that was one of his, one of his uh, injuries, mm-hmm. but yeah. still, still a, a guy who just naturally extends plays. A lot of that comes from the, from the very natural relationship he has with Ronnie Stanley who is a very good mirror player and mirrors gives ground in order to maintain his mirror. And so that, that involves some, some backside pressure, some blindside pressure occurring to Lamar, which he's very adept at moving away from. He has definitely almost seems to have eyes in the back of his head. Sometimes can take a subtle bump and move uh, just has a really good feel for where Stanley and his guys there and a lot of trust in Stanley 
to not lose his guy and allow a really hard hit from the from the blind side. And so far, Stanley has been very good at uh, about uh, protecting him from that. Yep, this is the, this is definitely the biggest thing where I want Lamar to be himself and still like play naturally, for lack of a better word, the way you know the way he would anticipate, but also protect himself better. In my opinion, and it sounds like you share this. The biggest way he can protect himself is not from running less per se. It's from getting the ball out faster during these pass rush opportunities. Um, I definitely am worried about him holding onto the ball. Like while that allows him to create, I also worry about him getting injured in the pocket that way. So that's, it, that's it's a double edged sword, but you know yeah. what? Extended plays are part of Lamar, who Lamar Jackson is and an important part in terms of value. Also being able to hold the ball and then eventually take off on a run on some plays, very important part of who Lamar Jackson is. So if, if you, if you try and scheme the ball out quickly because you're too concerned about injuries, you'll reduce his value. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. That doesn't mean you can't ever do that. It means you just can't make that your MO in general. You can yeah. scheme the ball out quickly. And I think it would be good for this offense to put the fear of other receivers in Lamar, which is one of the big things I want to talk about a little later in this show. I do. I wonder, like, when you think about it, how early do you need to introduce that risk in a way, right? Like, it might be minimizing him, right? But does it matter if you're minimizing him if you're still putting up points at a good pace? Um, if that is like, all. That is literally all that matters is points per drive. If the right. if the efficiency is there, and and you're um, you're maximizing him. I mean, obviously you want to, I guess you want to be on the efficient frontier of points per drive and limited injury risk. Right. Exactly. Okay. Right. But, but you're not, you're not really asking me that, or at least it didn't sound like it. You're, you're, no, you're that, that actually was what Kyle was saying. Like, okay. If you're, how much of that can you pull back on while staying efficient? Like how, where, where is the big drop off start to happen is kind of what I was getting at. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, I think the biggest thing, is I want to see I, it will be almost impossible for Lamar not to be the biggest threat on the team. Right. However, I want people to be scared about a lot more people than just Lamar. Yeah. Obviously they're scared of Mark Andrews, but I want them to be scared of a lot more people. And I think that that starts with him being a better point guard. Yeah, absolutely. No, no doubt about that. You've got to distribute the football better. I, I don't even think that has to be, that is more than Lamar's responsibility. And for one thing, if you're Todd Monken and you come in and run this team, and you just watch the film of what's happened the last few years where there's a whole bunch of um, Andrews is the primary and gets the ball first read and then Andrews or one, two Andrews, <laughs> any of those, but there's, a, there's obviously Andrews has an absurdly high target share for being the bailout receiver for Lamar on a lot of plays. And they do have a connection that's, that's very good. Um, but Andrews uh, productivity on a per snap basis and a per target basis in particular it's gone way down, way down from where he was a rookie. In fact, he's had a ski slope of a career in terms of his productivity per target, which is based on the fact that Lamar looks to him in too many contested catch opportunities. And there's also too many, too many dual defender opportunities. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you end up with a fair number of interceptions on balls intended for Andrews. That That's one of the things this offense really needs to fix. It's not the, it's not the, um, the fact that you don't want the, the best 80 to 85% of Mark Andrews targets. You do. In fact, you might want more numerically if you're going to pass the ball more, but you want the, the, the worst 
percentage of his target share, the worst four to six, four to five points of his target share, say to of his 24.4% target share to go away. You don't want mm-hmm. those targets going to him. You need to, you need to spread the ball around more, um, which will naturally then create more quality opportunities for Andrews. And, and I hope that this, this offense can get back to that because, or can get to that, not get back to that. Cause I don't know that they've ever really been in that um, point. They were in 2018 when Lamar was just starting out. Andrews was an unknown and, and people didn't realize how good he was. And he set the Ravens record for yards per target in a single season uh, with 11.04. He's never been close since. And there've been a ton of interceptions because Lamar is looking for him more and more. Yeah. The attention from the defense is a lot higher too. Yep. Yeah. I remember, I remember that first season. You could definitely see this. You saw the signs um, mm-hmm. that he could be a breakout player the next year. And uh, definitely certainly helped that Lamar had his uh, transformative season as well. If you look at the game books from last year, game logs, one of the things that really comes to comes to light is that Lamar was having an okay season through six weeks, but it certainly wasn't a great season. He, he had 10 and two touchdowns, interceptions the first three weeks, and then three and four the next three weeks, which leaves him at you know 13 and six. Nothing, nothing really special, but his passer rating was pretty good for the year at that point. Um, he ended up the last six games he played. In all but one of them, his passer rating was lower than where his season average was. He did have one, the game against Tampa Bay had a 104.9 passer rating, but the other games, 80.2, 87.9, 76.5, 87.2, 77.1. Not what you want out of your Pro Bowl quarterback, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he, yeah. he was struggling. Yeah, for yeah. sure he was struggling. Uh, I think that also tied to when Bateman got hurt. Um, Bateman got hurt and, and interceptions went way down, but the also touchdowns went to almost nothing. So in that six week span, he threw four touchdowns and one interception in six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole offense was really stuttering at that point. It was very frustrating. I remember. And, um, that was, uh, I think when everyone was wondering like, what's going on, you know, this can't, this can't sustain, like you got to figure out what's going on here. And, um, yeah, in a way, I think that stretch was more the reason Huntley, or more the reason why Roman's gone than the success he had with Huntley down the stretch. The funny thing is, during that stretch, they won five of those six games. So they won, they won against Cleveland, Tampa, New Orleans. They beat Carolina, mm-hmm. and they lost that horrible game to Jacksonville by one point. Which you know, it it, it went that way. Some of it was on Lamar. A lot of it is not. Um, but it was what it was. And then they they won the game in Denver where Lamar started and uh, Huntley I played three-fourths of that game. Yeah. Huntley played three-fourths of the game and came in and got the winning touchdown drive on his mm-hmm. last drive of the game or whatever it Correct. was. Very yep. close. Yep. So uh, it wasn't like the Ravens were losing these games, but it just they, they definitely weren't maximizing Lamar Jackson during those games either. And, um, and and they're also not playing the greatest of opponents. A lot of the NFC South they played during that time, plus Denver, who was terrible. So yeah. it, w- it was a serious. Yeah, we weren't gaining confidence in the team, right? You're looking, you're always looking to gain more and more confidence as the season goes on. That they have answers to the questions that you know defense will give them, and it felt like we just didn't have the answers. Yeah, and um, a lot of times I remember thinking to myself, they just need to find ways to give Lamar Jackson rhythm throws or rhythm drive just to like get him going um because we've always seen like when it rains it pours i feel like with his uh productivity and he just absolutely piles on on teams and um 
yeah, it was just like, it felt like there was lack of, of easy buttons, lack of, of rhythm. And I definitely was fr- getting frustrated watching it, thinking to myself, like, this is not playoff football. Cause to me, like that's, that's what <laughs> the preseason is about self-scouting and figure out how your team is. The regular season is about just getting to the playoffs and being in the best position for them in a mm-hmm. way. And then the playoffs are you know, obviously about winning like that to me, like winning is almost not that important. I mean, you obviously have to win to get to the playoffs, but it's, it's more about, do you feel like you have the answers to all the, the te- uh, questions in the test? Um, so, and I just felt I mean, like we weren't, we, I didn't feel confident in that. The, the season needs to give you that information. You need to, you need during mm. the regular season, you need to figure out, are you really good enough? And that's that's what the trade deadline is all about. Are you going to be a buyer or a seller at the trade? Well, you better have found out by that point in the season. You better know whether you can win or not. Um, the, the Ravens, I don't think they knew. I don't think they knew that they were a playoff team at the trade deadline. And then they went out and got Roquan Smith, and that really solidified the defense to a way that did allow them to qualify at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and frankly, provides a lot of positive portent for 2023. But uh, uh, I don't. I don't think they knew even before Jackson's injury if they were going to be good enough to 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 sustain a playoff run at that point. Sure. Yeah. So let's talk about what you want to see from Jackson in 2023. So we've hit on some of the things either directly or indirectly, but go ahead and state them. And you're the guest. Go. You go first, and then we'll kind of alternate as we go through this. I'm, I may have a longer list than you. If I do, then we'll just tack on some things at the end. Sure. Uh, I mean, the number one thing I want to see is a command of the offense. Um, and what I mean by that is just, it looks like he's comfortable out there and, and also the snapping, like getting the ball off on time. I feel like those two things uh, would be of the, uh, the success metrics for feeling comfortable with the offense. Okay. So pace, you really mean pace. not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I could completely agree with that. Um, we've, I think we've hit on that enough in terms of, mm-hmm. of what might go wrong with that, but he's got to get the, he's got to be able to communicate that call and he can't blame this all on Monken. Monken is going to talk in whatever accent he talks in. It's going to be going right into Lamar's ear. If they can't understand each other, they need to get that fixed before the game such that Monken comes up with code words that are similar to the, what is, what is the radio alphabet or what is the military alphabet that they yeah. use, you know, alpha Bravo that, I mean, mm-hmm. that's set up. So you don't make mistakes about what words are being said, you know, cause they, they don't, they don't, they, they have different, uh, yes. uh, you know, number of syllables and different sounds in the, in the, in the syllables and whatnot. So that's, that's what they're intended to do. If, if that's what's needed, then they have to make that change in order to do that. But those two need to be able to communicate each other one-to-one and what goes into Lamar's helmet has to be something Lamar understands. Then Lamar's got to be able to communicate to his players. Same problem in a way, and he's not going to be translating into different letters or anything, but he needs to, to be as clear in, his, uh, in the way he enunciates as he possibly can in order to get that across. I've seen Gruden rip into, it's mostly Southern quarterbacks, guys from Texas, guys with any kind of a drawl mm-hmm. about – you know, how, how, if somebody calls out a play really quickly, and I, the guy you remember him talking to is Colt McCoy. Okay. okay. And so he, he has a, a minimal kind of a draw, but he's not, not got a really exaggerated Southern accent, I'll say. And he's just, he's still, you have trouble understanding him in the huddle. Uh, foreigners who, who speak English will tell you um, that's one of the most difficult dialects to understand is a Southern dialect. Mm-hmm. Um, that you, you know, you can listen to English speaking by Europeans and it's, it's much more understandable 
English speaking by Russians may be more understandable than English speaking <laughs> by Southerners are a lot of times. Um, but anyway, it's, it's, a, it's just the way life is. So they're going to have to figure out how to get over those two hurdles, those two communication hurdles, him to Lamar and Lamar to the rest of the team. And um, I think that's really the key to pacing. They're going to get the line of scrimmage. Those got to be clicking like that. Uh, okay, my turn, right? Yep, yep. I, I, I'll say... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The distributing the ball much more effectively is is really the key for me. Um, Andrew's target share needs to be reduced, pure and simple. And, and it doesn't mean that Andrew's targets have to be reduced because they're going to pass the ball more. But he, he got 24.4% of targets this last year. That needs to go down. Uh, if it were 20%, he'd be fine. If they pass 25% more, he'll still get as many or more targets. So it shouldn't be a, a – uh, it, it doesn't have to be a problem by any means. But he's getting too many marginal targets right now. And if the ball is distributed better then that'll, that, that will fix his per play productivity or it should um, to a large degree. And it should improve the, the general efficiency of the offense to be doing that. Because if you're going to threaten space entirely, the other team has to believe that, <laughs> that single coverage will not be enough in all those ancillary cases that they have to figure out how to double cover Zay Flowers because you're going to go to him a lot. And they have to figure out how the hell are we going to deal with Odell Beckham if we're covering Zay Flowers and, and Mark Andrews. And they have to figure out how are they, you know, how are we going to deal with, with Bateman when he get back, gets back? Oh my goodness, because we've got all these other Ravens targets to deal with. Mm-hmm. Drawing safety help in various other directions other than that middle of the field, absolutely critical to the Ravens' success where so much of their receiving talent, despite all the moves, remains at tight end. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we, we have, I think it's the two heavy hitters out right away. Um, one of the keys to the season for me is him getting more trusted targets. Um, yep. And, you know, in high leverage situations, the defense is left guessing and they cannot focus in on one person or another because they have too many options that they'll go to and they've proven it. They've not just uh, have the threat of it, right? Like the threat of Zay flowers or the threat of Odell Beckham or the threat of uh, Bateman, mm-hmm. but they've, they've demonstrated that they're willing to do it. Um, and I think this is almost the whole offense in a way, you know, uh, like you said, there'll be more targets uh, presumably. So therefore uh, the, no one's production has to necessarily go down from this, but they need to be better distributed. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, this is huge in a way like this could be, um, 
I felt for as much as Roman liked to have different personnel packages and whatnot, the distribution of the ball, and that could be a Lamar thing. Uh, it just wasn't the same. So, yeah, I definitely want to see the ball distributed more. No doubt. Same position. I, I, I think it's the how that is the difficult thing. And the thing I keep coming back to is I think there have to be more directed, schemed reads. And that goes directly against the notion that Lamar's in charge of the offense when he gets to the line of scrimmage. Mm. Because that that in itself, while a great idea notionally, is something that runs the risk of too many of the targets going to a selected set of receivers. So yeah. part of it, you know, you mentioned the trust issue for starters. It's got to be an opportunity to build that trust. If you never target the guy, you won't, you, you don't have any hope of getting trust. So Miles Boykin, you know, very few sure. targets in his Ravens career, didn't really have a, a lot of chance to build trust. Now, Miles Boykin had other problems. We're all aware of the, you know, the slow acceleration of that the, the was a, a constant complaint. The fact that he wasn't particularly wiggly at the top of the route. And so it didn't, didn't show a lot to a defender that was particularly confusing. So I understand that part, but uh, you know, if you scheme the ball out quickly to those receivers on some plays, have a, you know, a first read um, Tylen Wallace and a second read Dobbins kind of thing, then you give that a better chance to work out and develop some trust with Lamar doing that as opposed to, you know, so many plays are, I'm giving you the open field. Here's your receiver set. Just know what you're looking for. Or here's your progression. And mm-hmm. Lamar either goes through it very quickly with the, with the one-two reads or just skips to number three right away. Uh, because he he thinks that will be open based on what he sees at the snap, and I, I'm I, that is a it, it's a it's a Monken concern, but it's also a, a Lamar concern in terms of him really being mature enough as a quarterback, really understanding enough about what he's seeing at the line of scrimmage to not naturally have the bias to go to his favorite receivers, whether that's um, uh, Beckham, uh, Andrews, or Flowers, or whatever it might be. Yep. I'm also interested to see, uh, I guess if we're going to the next one, as far as improvements is sidecar, pistol, under center, shotgun, you know, what, what, what kind of alignments? And then kind of with that, what kind of threats is, uh, what kind of threats to the defense will Lombard be making with his legs uh, in this new offense? So just, I'm just interested in what their approach going forward will be. What do you, what do you want to see from this? Well, you want to see productivity in terms of points, probably, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I don't really care, right? <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever works. But uh, I guess for me personally is um, I think this year is a lot about proving Lamar can do it with his arm less than his legs. Um, and it's not like I don't need to be proven. Like I, I'm pretty confident he can do it and I'm not, I'm not worried about it. But and it's not like about proving to the um, – NFL, but it's also just like viability long term. Like even we just look at his contract, you can imagine that he'll be using his leg less and less as it goes across, mm-hmm. even the, even this contract we, as we have now. So, will this offense be set up for that future? Uh, and and just like that, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at is how they're going to use Lamar and does it feel long term viable um, as well? I th- I mean I honestly think he'll be running a lot like that his whole career because he's just like that good at it even as he regresses he'll be better than a lot of the quarterbacks that are running right now yeah one thing about lamar now lamar 
one of the reasons why he's such a good leverage delivery asset, and I mean that by that is he gets in the open field, he wiggles it all, and that opponent almost always overreacts to it, which is one of the things that's a big asset for Lamar as a runner. On the other side, we really have, don't see Lamar in top gear very often. I mean, the only time he gets in at, at top yeah. speed is when he's, when he's on a true breakaway where he needs to outrun defenders. And that just doesn't happen all that often. Most of the time, he's running around in third gear trying to figure out how to make the next guy miss. And it's yep. just he, he maneuvers very well in third gear, which is, uh, you know, it, that's an extraordinary asset to have right there when you can do that. If you look at a Tyler Huntley, can't maneuver at all in third gear. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it, you, you, you have a different um, set despite, his, you know, a, a player who's supposed to be a similar style of quarterback. He just he doesn't have that. Lamar, um, uh, I think is I think he'll continue to run, and I'm, I, no matter how much they say it will be less, there'll still be a lot of scrambling, and there'll still be a fair number of design runs. Although they might cut those by a third to a half. That's my anticipation. I do think it'll it'll be at, at least a third. That's my guess, and I, and partially because the running back should be there. You know, if you have two healthy running backs that you like, get in the ball. You know. Kind of what they're, they're there for. <laughs> so. and, when, and you can have some non-mesh plays to support that if you want to. But mm-hmm. part of the part of the thing that makes the Ravens run game so effective, of course, is the mesh point because it throws mm-hmm. doubt in the defenders' minds. And it doesn't matter who's got the ball coming out of it. There's players who are left out of the play accounting for a player who doesn't have the football. Yep. Oh, I mean, and that's, a, that's the beauty in a way. Even if you cut it down to... Uh, you know, a third or a half uh, as many times as Lamar keeps it, even if they're just guessing on probability. Oh man, if you, if you guess wrong when it's Lamar, mm-hmm. like he will make you pay. So you really have to account for him every time. Yeah. Okay. So um, we ready to move on to another one? Yeah, of course. Okay. So I would say, Let's see. Well, I tried to decide which one I would pick. I'm going to say um, work through progressions more quickly and in a different order. And this is a lot about distributing the ball again. So maybe this is kind of a one B of my my first one here. Is that I, the progressions really have to come in a different order in order to to develop a different set of receivers, but also the progressions need to come more quickly. So he needs to be able to 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 um, not stare down first and second reads such that his third read is no longer of any use to him because it's, it's too late. Um, and you know, that's, it, it is a difficult thing for any quarterback to do, but it, but certainly something that Lamar Jackson got to become expert at identifying where the single coverage is and who he thinks has the leverage advantage on those single coverages to uh, pick it out and exploit it. Right. I guess I, I my question would be with the play calls, are the play calls inherently making him wait longer because it takes longer for that second concept to open up? Um, like, I guess that, that's a, a question, too. Right. Is does he have to wait longer in his progression because you won't know the answer to two yet? For a little well, bit? Hopefully. I mean, first of all, you should see things off the line of scrimmage that may rule out certain things or make you you so if the safety's you know looking like he's a robber on a particular route then there might be some intermediate concept you you want to scratch off or or move quickly through that read but the offense should be designed so that the reads that as taken in order 
will present themselves at say four tenths of a second increments mm-hmm. such that they will come open at the right time or, or, you know, be sure be seen at the right time. So hopefully, you know, the offense is well-designed from that perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess it also comes down to one thing we heard a lot about with the, the Roman offense is this optionality of, of wide receiver routes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, in, in my opinion, a lot of that I think should be taken out and, and dictated from Lamar. I think I would rather see Lamar be the one calling out those those route changes. So he knows there's no mystery, right? And mm-hmm. and 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 by him knowing, he'll be more confident going through his reads. That's that's a that's a really good point. And I mean, option routes they if it should be limited to players who um, have a distinct place to go to on the field that also does not create an overlap. I don't know what was going on with Roman's offense. It does happen that receivers get in the same place at some point during the play, but it's, it's more incumbent on the Ravens receivers as well as understanding this from a, from an upfront scheme perspective to know that you, you, you have to try and avoid that more because Lamar Jackson extending plays is going to create more risk of that occurring particularly, Mm -hmm. you know, after two and a half seconds have passed and these, these routes, you know, have, have uh, been run all the way and, and receivers may at that point be ad living. Yes. All right. I think it's your turn. I'm going to defer to you for the rest of them. Cause I'm not okay. sure what you have. Yeah. All right. I, 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 the only thing uh, I would like, bring up at this point is like maintaining health, but like part of me, it's like, that's not even really appropriate <laughs> you know. for everybody. We need that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So I, I did have it on him for I I I have it in a takes only necessary risks on hits. Yeah. So if you think look at what Lamar Jackson has done, um, I do I still want him to take game on the line runs, meaning sure. I, I want him to be running Q able to run QB power on fourth and short. I think it's been mm-hmm. an enormous successful thing for the Ravens, and I think they need to they need to have that in their bag of tricks. I think he he um uh, is very good about taking sacks for most of the time. They usually are just uh, small losses where he's already converted it to a run play. Not mm-hmm. always, but most of the time. Um, I want him to duck out of bounds a little bit more, probably not as much as in 2019, because I don't think he'll be the outside threat. I think he'll be a, still a center threat, and, and the offense mm-hmm. will be run largely out of sidecar would be my guess. Maybe mm-hmm. with Edwards back, maybe they, they, they run more pistol, but I think they're largely going to be running sidecar. Um, and then it really comes down to the quarterback hits and deciding when you're going to stand in there and take a big hit when you're not, you know, how often you're really exposing yourself by going through the throwing motion as you're about to be hit. Those are the worst hits in football. Those are the yeah. hardest hits that, that occur are on quarterback hits. Generally speaking, not on sacks. Usually it's an incomplete pass of some sort of the ball is out and the quarterback knows he's going to take a hit sometimes Sometimes he takes it just because he's in the in the process of throwing, but they're the worst hits that you can take. Agreed. Yep. Um, we talked about uh, uh, game management skills. You talked a little bit about audibles. I would agree with what you said. I like uh, like the way you put it in terms of him being in charge of that at the line of scrimmage. Uh, needs to read the defense better at the line of scrimmage. That's a we talked about that a little bit easier. He's to still be able to m- milk the clock when appropriate. Now Lamar has a lot of experience running an offense that kind of milked the clock. I hope a lot of it was him. Uh, mm-hmm. Phil Sims always used to claim he was able to get the clock down to one second whenever he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lamar should have that same ability to 
uh, get to the line late when it's appropriate, milk the clock without, without undue false start risk. And if you're taking a knee, you take a knee. If you're, if you're running a play, you run a play. Um, but you know, using those last three or four seconds to snap the ball is fine, but snapping the ball with 11 seconds left to go when you're seven minutes away from, you know, sealing the game away up two touchdowns is probably not appropriate. You, you really need to use as much of that clock as you can. And um, in terms of percentage wise, you know, you could calculate that pretty simply. It's seven seconds left in, a, in seven minutes from getting a clock out. You're uh, you've got a significant portion of that one uh, 60th additional of the game has been used just by your later snap. Yep. So it's, it's, it's gotta be, it, it's gotta be thoughtfully done in terms of, of, uh, of when those snaps are made. Yeah. Uh, I want to see an improvement in on-field comportment. Now we've, we've seen pissed off Lamar after false starts, after delay of game penalties, um, that is, that has not been good. We saw him punt the ball once we've seen him spike the ball down, be upset. And look, it's okay to be fiery. Uh, if you want to be fiery, try and direct it in the huddle. Um, I like to see less emoting on fields from people on both sides of the line of scrimmage. I think it's, it happens more often on defense when one defender lets another down because mm-hmm. of bad positioning, but it can happen on offense too. And and one of the particular plays where there was a delay of game penalty, I thought that the, the blame for it really was multi-way. And it seemed like Lamar was pissed off at Linderbaum specifically. And he, I think in that case, he threw the ball down at Linderbaum's feet as one of these things. Yeah. He probably should get him penalized yeah. for it, but he, but he threw the ball down at Linderbaum's feet and Zeitler was a little bit late with his tap. I think the play was a little late calling in Lamar might've been late relaying it for all we know. And then they got into position and they didn't have time to snap the ball. And, and Lamar got really pissed off. It just, he's got to be a, um, more in control leader, part of, of, you know, it's a team trust Lamar Jackson. It's not a case of that. It's a team. It's a, it's a, it's a matter of him being able to control his own emotions better so that he can be more effective on the field. Yeah, this is, this is a great one. Um, you know, he said he was working on his leadership this year. That was something kind of mentioned uh, in the conferences is that he wants to be a better leader of the team. And I definitely agree with you where uh, I remember the one time there was the altercation with Stanley he was mad Stanley and uh, maybe he was trying to calm him down. Yeah. And it might've been the Linderbaum play actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, you know, it, stuff like that needs to be sorted. Um, and like you said, the punting, like that was, that was a little much. Um, we just need the, he needs to be a little bit better composure. Um, and I think there's, there's better ways of lead than that. So I agree. It's just like a maturing almost. Yep, absolutely. I think if I'm going to move on to another, I'd say reduce turnovers. And a lot of this is just reading the field better, um, Mm -hmm. understanding the options you have that are not double coverage um, that are still not Mark Andrews. Yeah. That those, if once you, once you get that figured out, Lamar is going to be very good at avoiding interceptions. He won't ever be 2019 Lamar again, but he'll be a, fine avoider of interceptions, even in a pass first offense. Um, I believe, I, I don't think there's any reason why Lamar needs to throw 15 interceptions this year, just because the Ravens are throwing the ball more. Yeah, of course. It's a good one too. Definitely want to decrease though. He has some ugly games too, mm-hmm. where it just feels like he's not seeing the, the field well. And um, yeah, just keep those to a minimum. 
I mean, two years ago, he had the game against Cleveland with four interceptions, all of which were on throws to uh, Andrews. Yep. And nine total interceptions to Andrews on the season. And um, it's just obviously double coverage is always going to be an issue. Extra attention is always going to be an issue for, for Andrews. And, and you need to be very careful about those kind of throws, which means – Honestly, it's just his target share needs to be reduced. And I've said that yeah. enough. I don't need and it's, it. And it's also the proximity of where those balls are being thrown. There's just more defenders in that area usually. Mm-hmm. So the tips are, are more deadly. Yes, absolutely. Agree. Agree. Um, all right. Now, I, I did want to talk a little bit about why circumstances might be better for Lamar. But then we also got to look at why circumstances might be worse. So in terms of how he might develop in this 2023 season, what, what are the reasons you would look at that he could be, that things could be better for him this year? Well, last year, the run game wasn't particularly bad, but it was undeniable that you were dealing with uh, recovering Edwards and Dobbins. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think having Dobbins at full strength in particular is going to be really special. It seemed like Edwards was relatively at full strength, although his snap total was a little limited, so maybe he wasn't um, in that way. Like maybe he lacked the stamina, but like his game was the similar. Whereas mm-hmm. with Dobbins, it was very clear that he lacked that last gear, his getaway gear, and uh, you know he was running so well otherwise that he could have had some monster runs if he was able to just eat yeah. past the defenders. So I think having that is going to be amazing because those are those are drive enders in a good way. Those are touchdowns. You know, those are home run plays. So. I think that his run game will be uh, the supporting cast will be much better. And, you know, you just look at it as well with some of the additions they've made with, uh, I mean, not additions with Hill, but a lot of people forget Hill was coming off injury as well. And um, they also have uh, Mitchell as well. That might be an uh, aspect. And he has absolutely dynamite speed. Yeah. Very excited about to see Keaton Mitchell um, in the coming weeks. What, what does he bring the Ravens offense and uh, ultimately in the preseason really getting a chance to look at how do they use him uh, and in the regular season, we may or may not see him. I mean, he's he, the Ravens running back room is very crowded. You know, they have the, the big three, including Hill, who signed for two years. So I don't think they're going to let him go. Um, and, they, and then you have Patrick Ricard, who's in there, and you can call him a tight end or you can call him a pineapple if you want to, but, he, but he's, <laughs> he's taking up a roster spot, I can guarantee you that. And so you gotta you got to figure out whether he's uh, there's going to be room for him. I think there eventually will be room for, for Keaton Mitchell. I think he's too good to not have a chance at some point this season for someone. But if the Ravens put him on the practice squad, there's always the chance that somebody else's depth breaks down before yours and that he floats to the top of the list for, the, for another team before he floats to the top of the list for the Ravens. For sure. Yep. Yep. So I agree on the better running backs thing. I'll go with a few less drops. Hard for me to say a lot of less drops because the Ravens have assembled one of the droppingest set of drop drop receivers you've ever <laughs> that ever dropped footballs. Now seriously, I mean, I, I, yeah. just about everybody on the Ravens is an above average drop uh, drop the football guy. Beckham has been 30 percent over the league average for his career. Uh, uh, Andrews, sorry, not Andrews, likely uh, was the second worst among tight ends. Aguilar is one of the worst uh, wide receivers in recent years. Bateman. One of the big knocks on him coming out of college. We have seen a fair amount of drops in his pro career so far. Um, don't know if that if that will improve right off the injury, uh, and we don't know enough maybe about Z Flowers to know uh, right now exactly where he's going to fit in there. But they don't have a lot of really sure-handed um, receiving targets, uh, so it's hard for me to really point to a few less drops. And the one guy 
who really catches the ball exceptionally well is Duvernay. And he's probably going to have a significantly lower number of targets this year. Yeah. And a lot of that I wonder is like, how many of these drops are Lamar's fault, right? The ball could have been placed in a better spot. Obviously like wide receivers need to just like, they got to find a way to catch the ball, right? Mm-hmm. That's their job. But at the same time, uh, there is, there's a level of like, well, that was a tough catch for anybody to make, even, you know, that hits their hands. But uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm hoping that obviously drops are better. I don't know how much Lamar contributes to that. Obviously, you know, he can throw better passes, but uh, it's also <laughs> the way that, you know, the players have to do the job on the other end too. Yeah. So that, that may be a, that actually might be a, how circumstances may be worse for him, but I, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm doing glasses half full on that one. Give me another, another yeah. thing that might be better for him in 23. Well, I mean, I just think that the wide receivers are going to be better for him. I, I truly do think that this is going to be the, the best collection of wide receivers he's ever had. Um, and, and I don't really think it's close. <laughs> so um, there's just there's a lot more money and draft capital being spent on this this collection of receivers is a priority. And um, it's going to I think it will pay dividends. And with the scheme, you know, it's just going to be uh, it. It's undeniable to me that it's going to be better. It's just a matter of how much better. I, I think it has a chance to be better. Certainly. I, I don't think people really real. I mean, there's two critical receivers for the Ravens this year and neither of them is named Beckham. So the, the, the absolutely two critical reasons. Number one is, is flowers. He has got to be the Marquise Brown for this offense. The guy who can take the lid off the, off the defense and pull away safety help, draw safety attention regularly. Such the middle of the field stays a little bit clear for all the other guys who need to run underneath routes. That's pretty much everybody with maybe the exception of Bateman. And then the second most important receiver by far is Bateman. He's the team's only legitimate X. He's the only real X that they have. He's a a guy who can run the entire route tree. Uh, He definitely has some significant wiggle at the top of the route. That's, that's effective, but he also has uh, keeps cornerbacks guessing on, on where he's going. Not just, not just with, by throwing some leverage or throwing some move that they may react to. Uh, he's, he's a, uh, a guy the Ravens need back. And unfortunately, you know, the, the situation with his foot may keep him from being the receiver that they drafted this year. I'm, I'm very concerned yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, could be Hollywood 19 sort of uh, yeah. production where you, he has a good year, but you know, it could have been better if he was just a little healthier. Yeah. It's a big year for Bateman, really big year. They need the Ravens need to decide on the fifth year option for Bateman, yes. and um, it's just it's a it's a huge year for him. But in terms of how much money he'll make the rest of his career, uh, to have a big year this year, and then probably two more big years, and then really get paid for that uh, somewhere in this league. Uh, I, th- I do think there'll be better separation from the receivers. I think that's one of the things the Ravens will get, not necessarily from Beckham, but from Bateman, hopefully in the time he plays and certainly in what's created by flowers um, by taking the lid off the defense. I think they get better separation. Yeah. And the suddenness as well. Yeah. What, uh, what other, inter- what, anything else? I've got one more item on my list. If you, if you're out, I'm out, I would say. Okay. I'd say a full season of Linder Linderbaum snaps. Um, he had it for half a season for the, for the, for the games he played last year. Um, but he gets it for a full season this year. If both of them are healthy, that would really, really go a long way. 
his velocity and trajectory completely different from Bozeman. Um, yeah. You know, I, as I, people hear me you know, trying to be centrist, honestly, in terms of who I think um, Linderbaum is as a pass blocker, I think that's a significant concern. But I'm not at all concerned with Linderbaum, the run blocker, nor Linderbaum, the, the snapper, which is probably – you know, which is it's so night and day from what the Ravens had before in terms of these 12 to six curveballs, which Bozeman and McCary and others were throwing up there. And just Lamar was having to reach all over the place for the ball. Lenabov's just much better at delivering the ball right to the midsection. Um, and, and Lamar is, you know, when it's off slightly, it's off slightly from there. But um, there have been a lot of really bad snaps with Lenabov, even though he missed only two snaps the whole year. Yeah, definitely uh, way better. Allows him to look down the field sooner. Allows uh, mm-hmm. just more comfort. You know, he has he doesn't be worried as much about the where the snap's going to be. He's more focused on the team uh, in front of him. So, yeah, I definitely agree. That's a that's a that's a sneaky one. Okay, but there are a few situations where the situation will, will probably be worse for Lamar. So let's yeah. talk about let's talk about what those might be. I've only got two of these. Maybe you start yeah. us off. What what do you think might be worse for Lamar? Uh, offensive line might be worse for sure. Uh, left guard is obviously a question mark. And then, you know, is this going to be the year that Morgan Moses falls off? Who knows? He's a little bit older. Um, Zeitler could have a fall off. Uh, so, the, you know, the right side of the line is older and could have a fall off. And, and left guard position almost definitely will be a little bit of a fall off than yeah. it was last year. So that's that looks like a, almost definitely a worse line. Because I honestly think by the end of the season, Stanley was playing Pro Bowl Stanley. Like I thought he looked great at the end of the year. So that is not as big of a concern. I feel like he's fully recovered from the injury. Obviously it took a little bit of time last year. So you can maybe have that as demerit against last year, but I'm, I'm just more so thinking about the final unit, you know, end of season unit. I, I mean, look, I'm hopeful about Ronnie Stanley, but I think you could easily make the case that all five offensive line positions are a risk of drop-off. I mean, I, I, okay. I mean, sure. let's, let's go from right to left. Moses, it would be because of age, and he had an incredible mobility here that's just out of place with the rest of his career. I uh, just, he just had never done that before, and 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 to, mm-hmm. to watch him do that, a complete shock to me. Uh, his ability to run and and still find blocks and very effective ones on the back end of counter plays, uh, just very unusual in terms yeah. of of what you see from a from a, a very large right tackle. Go to Zeitler, 33 years old. That's all you really need to say. And and playing at a high level. Um, but, you know, I, there's you can only beat father time for so long. Eventually, you know, it catches up to everyone. Uh, if, if I go to Linderbaum, I think the risk is, is primarily the fact that he will not make as much progress in his pass blocking as the additional demands on his pass blocking will increase by the number of plays and the quality of the left guard next to him. I think you have both sure. those things as, as potential risks. We go to left guard. You had Ben Powers there. You're replacing him with somebody you don't even know. Might work out. Probably will not in terms of the same level. And then you go to left tackle with Stanley. And I think um, for the things that went wrong, for the things that went right with Stanley last year, I thought he's better, but not the run blocker he used to be, but but a, a good pass blocker who still mirrors very well and keeps Lamar's blind side safe from, from any significant hits. I think all of that, looked very good but i would say that um i'm still fearful over any recurrence of the injury any any uh, regression of health for other reasons or perhaps any favoring of past injuries that causes another one 
So, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there are just risks. And, and Ronnie Stanley, when he's, when he's healthy, is one hell of a left tackle. And when he's not, um, you know, obviously he, he's uh, a big uh, dent in the cap. So hopefully uh, this is a year where, where he's back. But I think you can make the case that, that all five offensive line positions, for, that any of the five offensive line positions yeah. could, could be worse. I think it's actually much harder to make the point that they could be better than they yeah. were last year. And Stanley is the big opportunity. He's, he's the big yeah. opportunity to take a step forward from where he was last year and play the whole season, play a little bit better than he did last year, particularly as a run blocker. Um, and the other one, the, the number two guy for improvement is Linderbaum. Yep. Is, is it, you know, he could, he could take a step forward, but if you're really hoping on Moses or Zeitler to, to take a step forward at this point in their career, I think it's, it's less likely. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, right? With the, just the pure math of it, you have two guys that could be candidates for improvement. You have two guys that have can't, or three candidates for loss of, of, of production. So overall looking downward, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think my only other concern about circumstances is that the personal, the demands on Lamar within the offense are just more than he really anticipated and, and, or, and can keep up with. That Monken, you know, envisions a more complicated scheme than Lamar's able to keep up with. And, and I love Lamar. You know, but the Roman offense, as much as Lamar obviously was not happy with it at the end, it's completely built for him. I mean, it was built for his skill set to, to, to deal with, you know, the, the Ravens giving Lamar the best opportunities to force defenses to account for Lamar play after play after play. And once you start peeling the, the layers of the onion in that there, making Lamar a, a pure passer instead of a run passer, then you, you have potentially a problem that... Um, the microscope goes on what can Lamar do for you as a passer, which is which could well be um, more limited than what Monken can deliver on scheme wise. Yeah, I can definitely see that point. I think to me, the biggest problem in a way was that the whole offense was designed for Lamar, and in a way, I think lacked <laughs> the awareness of the other ten players. Um, so that's kind of maybe like my, my counter argument is that this offense might be built more for everyone to succeed. And that in a way, like even though Lamar lifts all ships, it lifts Lamar too, because those other players are put in more opportunistic positions to do what they do well. And then he's able to execute easier because like they're in a good spot. So I, 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 in a way, like I love Lamar too, but maybe, you know, we have to focus on other people too. Like how can they have offense that they really can strive in? Okay, so maybe maybe this is a little bit like the Mark Andrews needs a reduced target share argument. Is is yeah. if Lamar is not the absolute focus of the offense entirely, then other people can thrive. And I don't disagree with it, but the gains from getting Lamar, like everybody eye on Lamar every single play, is are so great. The gains from that yeah. are so great; it's really yeah. hard to say. Yeah, we should we should discard that. You know, King of Spades. <laughs> well, I think I think you still have it though. Like yeah. Lamar is always a threat. Yeah, like he is always a threat. So like, you don't have to. In a way, you don't have to build him as a threat. He's inherently a threat. Mark Andrews is also inherently a threat. But how can you make them, the people around them, succeed more so that they're not always uh, double teamed and double yeah. fixated on? This is one of these things. I shouldn't even have to say this, but I'm going to anyway, just so nobody thinks this is what <laughs> it is. I could use the Ace of Diamonds and maybe have that be more of an appropriate analogy there. 
Um, I just, I, I don't, this is, the comment was not in, intentionally racist. The comment was just that it's a high card you already have with Lamar, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. in terms of, of what he brings to the football field at discarding, you know, the, yeah. the, the gravitational pull, even on some plays that he brings to the offense would, would be a, you know, like discarding an ace in some way. You better, you know, there's only, yeah, yeah. there's only a couple other aces in the deck you could pull out. Yeah. Yeah. Not for sure. All right. All right. So let's talk about what a what a good and a great year is for Lamar Jackson here. How about you? You start us off with a good year. I'll do a good year, and then we'll both do great. Sure. So for a good year, I'm going to just put it out there because of the last two seasons. It's available for the playoff run and provides the team enough play during the season for a wild card berth. Distributes the ball to his targets and has multiple trusted players in high leverage situations. Shows a good command of the Munkin offense and proves doubters he's a top passer in the league. That's outstanding. That might that might even be better than a good season, but it's very well written for starters. Let me just say that. That's, that's <laughs> extremely good. I'll just read mine, and it will not be as good, I promise you. Uh, <laughs> via some combination of run and pass improvements, the Ravens improve, the, and that's for the offense as a whole, the Ravens improve scoring efficiency to approximately 2.4 points per drive without sacrificing defensive freshness. Jackson's per-run efficiency is high when split by scrambles and designed runs. So, I mean, it's high in each of those two categories separately. Lamar plays 15-plus games. The Ravens make the playoffs, and he's there for all postseason games. There you go. Very nice. Pretty, pretty similar. Think, but yeah. yeah. I think one thing I actually left out of, of what could be worse for Lamar is with the different pace, the defense not being as good. Yeah. Um, so, that's a, that's a good one. So, Yeah. How about a great, great year season? for Lamar? So I liked my great one even better. So maybe uh, you'll <laughs> you'll have another good comment. Leads team to a conference championship game or further after winning the AFC North, logs his first home playoff win, eclipses the 4K passing yard landmark for the first time in his career, and then creates a 1B of equal footing of Mark Andrews for high leverage plays. A, a 1B, another uh, another option other yeah, than that, Andrews. That's like, very good. Yeah, equal footing. Yeah, very good. Okay, great. I have uh, Jackson leads the Ravens back to a points per drive of 2.65 with a good portion of the success derived from Lamar's improved distribution of the football. Lamar seamlessly handles changes in pace as needed, fast or slow. Passer rating returns to 100 plus due to reduced turnovers, better playmakers, and better scheme. Machen and Lamar are lauded as an outstanding new tandem. Now, I didn't say anything about the playoffs here because it's assumed that that would be the case sure. in there. But um, the point I want to make in each of these cases, I don't give a rat's ass how many yards Lamar Jackson throws for. And if sure. you do, it's, it's foolish. Lamar's got his bag. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter to Lamar. Winning should be absolutely all that matters. So if they can win easier by running the football, they should do that. If they can win easier by passing the football, they should do that. But whatever, whatever way they can get back to these two promised landmarks, that I've that I've said <laughs> yeah. 2.4 and 2.65. Neither of them is 3.08. Let me point that out. That's a 2019 number. Yeah. Uh, neither of them are unattainable in terms of that. And if they score 2.65 points per drive with the defense they have, I think they're they're going to be just fine. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. I only put the 4K passing yard landmark because I think with the volume that they're going to have, and it, he was pretty close to 19. Um, so I just I felt like it was it was doable. And um, also, I feel like it might be important to him, uh, even though it might not shouldn't be. Maybe like you said, like winning should be. I, I don't think him hitting 4K yards will take away from any of the other goals. 
Okay. Fair enough. I've got an off the charts here too. Just did you put, did you do this or not? I know we talked about it before the show. No, I, I, I don't have an off the charts, but I, I agree with what yours is going to be because you kind of alluded to it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I talked about it in the production meeting. So my off the charts, <laughs> my off the charts season for Lamar and the, the 60th and 80th percentile were the good and the great. So this is maybe this is a 95 or, or thereabouts. And that is that we get into long heated debates about which was Lamar's greatest season, 2019 or 2023. We can continue these for years. I'll, I'll be willing to talk about it as many times as people want to on film study shorts in the future. But the, but the 2023 advocates all point to playoff success as the tiebreaker. Sure. Yeah. Love that. So that's, that's at least one win in the playoffs, I guess. It, it, but it, if they're really pointing to wins in the playoffs, it's got to be at least two, I would think. And I think the two things, Ken, that I really would love to see the reason I put in my great season is if you win the AFC North, you guarantee yourself, you guarantee yourself a playoff game at home. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting to the conference championship, you're guaranteeing that you won that game. And I think that'd be huge for Baltimore. They saw two huge disappointing games in 18 and 19 and in the Lamar era. Uh, 20 was away. And of course, Lamar wasn't playing in 21. So, or uh, 22 rather when they were in the playoffs. So um, I just really want that for the, the town. I selfishly want it to see it, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and, uh, I think I think that'd be a astounding season for him. All right. Well, very good. I thought you 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 probably did a better job with the good and the great than anybody else in the series in terms of coming up with the, with really good. Well, I had a lot of examples, Ken. I've listened to all the shows coming up to it, so you know, I had a good opportunity of knowing what what you liked and also what I like to hear as well. What I thought was right. yeah, thoughtful. So. Well, Alec, thanks. Thanks for joining me for this. Always a pleasure to have you on. I know we do have you on a lot. We rely on this uh, <laughs> and and no doubt we'll have several more opportunities before the season begins and and uh, while the season's going on, for that matter. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. For sure. Uh, you can find us at One Winning Pod on Twitter and threads and uh, OneWinningPod.com for our podcast. And uh, actually, you know, adding on you know, it's a race now who can release their episode first, but we recorded earlier in the night with Ken uh, and talking about who on the team will have a different role than they had last year based off of players that left the team. So you can think of Kyle Hamilton, you can think of the whole defensive line, uh, pass rushers, et cetera. Um, so we went into all of that and it was great to have Ken on the show. Thanks for having me. Fun conversation as always when, uh, when talking football with you guys, uh, I, I like, uh, uh, you know, Peter and Chris as well in terms of what they deliver. And they're, they're fairly frequent guests on this show as well. So uh, thanks to them. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, there is still a little bit of time before training camp begins. That'll, that'll happen next week. And uh, we'll have some daily reports on, on training camp. Uh, not every day necessarily, but, but most days. And uh, we'll be looking forward to those. Uh, if you'd still like to have anything you want to discuss GM material, other elements of the, uh, of, of team building or of uh, a technical nature. If you have a statistic you'd like to discuss that you don't think is, is thought of enough or important enough. Uh, we can talk about that, but just hit me up a DM on Twitter. They're always open as long as Twitter is open <laughs> and I'll get, I'll get right back to you. Uh, if I see you uh, contact me, uh, Alec, thanks again for coming on. Thanks so much, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on film study.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.